you have to look at math and physics. Like what actually is dangerous? Is investing in this new company actually dangerous for me? Is jumping out of a plane actually dangerous? And very often, I think you'll find from like a, a, a math, physics, statistical standpoint, probably not, at least nowhere near the levels that you think it is. What's up, my friend, and welcome to The Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at The Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. What is up and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have Sterling Hawkins on the podcast. And Sterling is an internationally recognized entrepreneur. He's a motivational leader. He's a public speaker. He is. He had the TED Talk in 2019, which is called Discomfort is Necessary for Innovation. It's been viewed 100,000 times, 100,000 times, 100,000 times. Gotta say that three times quick. And he is the author of Hunting Discomfort. And the book is exactly what the title means. It is the exact ways that you can actually hunt discomfort in order to make yourself what I call unfuckwittable, where nothing can necessarily harm you. And it is a one of the, I would say, one of the most effective paths for growth. So the conversation that I have with Sterling it was, uh, man, it, it, we talked about everything in terms of like his process towards hunting discomfort in his own life, how he actually helps others do it. And we also talk about a lot of uh, the things that are happening right now in the world and how we can actually lean into these things and lean into our emotions around these in order to be the best versions of ourselves. What is up, Sterling? Welcome to the podcast. And very nice to actually we met before. Uh, it's just very good to to talk to you. You're just uh, super awesome. It's it's great that our friend Ted had been able to put us together, put us in touch with each other. And uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on, and, and very grateful to uh, Ted for putting us in touch. It's great to spend some time with you, and excited for our conversation here. Hundred percent. So, very first question yeah. I want to ask you is, what is hunting discomfort? <laughs> it's a great question. Very pertinent question. <laughs> uh, you know, I talk a lot about discomfort, hunting discomfort. It's the title of my book. Like it's everywhere. It's on my website, social media. And the biggest question I get from people is, is not only what is hunting discomfort, but Sterling, look at my bank account, look at my relationships, look at my business, look at my health. I don't need to hunt discomfort. I'm surrounded <laughs> by it, <laughs> which is, is couldn't be more true. You know, we're coming out of a pandemic. We've got tech disruption. We've got conflicting information coming at us from everywhere. Like, I get it. But if you have discomfort in any area or all areas, my answer is always the same, which is you're not hunting discomfort. You're living with it. And it's where most people spend their lives. It's where they operate their businesses. It's how they grow their families. They're living with discomfort and maybe worse, justifying why they have it. 
When you hunt discomfort, as I'm sure we're going to get into here today, (laughs) the point is not to make you more uncomfortable. The point is to free you from it always and forever. So when you hunt discomfort, you're free. That's amazing. I love that uh, answer. And if there was something or someone that is going to talk about this, it would be you. Uh, and <laughs> it's just like seeing from like my research, one of the things that, uh, that I was just surprised with, especially during one of our first conversations, was the idea that uh, you actually went from this pinnacle. You know, yeah. you're, you had this company that was valued at over uh, half or actually over half a billion dollars. Uh, well, we, we raised half a billion dollars right? cash. Oh, gosh. Okay, yeah, so you were so actually multi-billion you're dollar actually valuated. Oh, my gosh. And when it comes to this kind of like dropping from the pinnacle all the way down to, say, you know, living at your parents' basement, yeah. what what do you feel had actually – one thing that kind of like comes out to me is like what, what did lead to that demise? What, what, what led you to going from like this pinnacle all the way down to – uh, kind of like the lowest of the lows? Um, well, you know, on, on one side, there's a lot of technical reasons for that. Uh, you know, how we were raising money. It was around when the housing market collapsed that our investment dried up. But I think the stronger answer is, is what was happening in the emotional world. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody can listen to a business podcast or look at business best practices, what you have to do, how you do it. All of that's pretty straightforward. And I'm not saying we did all of that right. But what ultimately led to this this big collapse was that my personal identity was so tied up in the company, what success looked like, who I thought I was, who my friends were, what I could afford, where I lived, that when the company crashed, I crashed as well. And it was very difficult for me, um, not so much in the like hard sense but it was difficult for me to let go of that identity, to realize that there, there was something new for me. So I spent uh, candidly years just kind of slowly notching myself down because I didn't want to give up what I thought I was, what success looked like. So much so that I withdrew from a lot of friends. I re- withdrew from communities because I was no longer this like successful startup guy that done all these cool things and mm. was, uh, you know, at the big parties and flying private and all these things. I wasn't that anymore. So if I couldn't be that, I didn't want to see anybody. Mm. And it did culminate in going from a, a big, beautiful penthouse in downtown San Francisco to my my parents' house and my girlfriend broke up with me. It's like playing out a sad country song of a story. And it wasn't because I, I couldn't have salvaged different things. It wasn't because I couldn't have maybe found a job elsewhere. Is It's that I really wasn't willing to, at least up at the time, give up the identity of who I thought I was and how I thought I was supposed to do things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I do feel that, uh, especially in the world that we live in today, we identify ourselves with these external things, uh, yeah. whether it be the job, whether it be the family, the house, the the career, mm-hmm. and even money to a very large extent. Yep. And then we allow these things to define us. And then when these things are taken away, it's almost like, well, what the fuck do we have? Right? right. Like, who are we at this point? So what did you learn about yourself uh, going through this like disidentification with uh, all these status items? Um, 
Well, I, I think I learned that what's inside me, and by extension, every human, is much greater than anything that we can possibly imagine. And it's certainly much greater than what's in front of us. You know, I have just, I've become like obsessed with discomfort and how we need it and how it works and how the brain is wired to uh, really grow from discomfort. And, and you probably already know this, and maybe some of your listeners do as well, but the subconscious mind processes many, 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 many times what our conscious mind can be uh, aware of. It's something like our conscious mind is 0.000000045% conscious. Like we know nothing about ourselves, like what's ultimately inside of us in the deepest depths of our subconscious, how we see the world, and maybe even how we see other people. And when we can let go of that really thin slice of the reality about ourselves and others in the world that we're hanging on to, you tap into this nearly limitless um, source of potential. And it, was, it wasn't something that I chose. It wasn't like, oh, I want to go down this dark path to see what's there. It's, I felt like I was forced into it. Hmm. And in retrospect, I think it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because I, I found, you know, in a very visceral way, something more in me than I thought there ever could have been. Where do you think that comes from? Like, because I do believe that uh, with the subconscious, there is like this intuitive sense yeah. uh, where it kind of pushes you into certain things. Yeah. And, and one of the things that uh, I remember from kind of watching, you know, a couple of your podcasts is that hmm. this, uh, this little subconscious has actually pushed you into doing one of the most uncomfortable things that any <laughs> human being could ever do, which is like public speaking, but not just public speaking, it's yeah. public speaking in front of tens of thousands of people. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what do you feel was inside of you that pushed you to do this? Um, it's a good question. And I think I just had this sense that there was something greater. Like this wasn't where my life ended in a way, like it, it sounds cheesy, but I, I mean it for real. Like this was the start of something and I didn't know what, I just had a, like a nagging sense of, Hey, there, there's more. There's more for me. Like if, if you've seen the Matrix, like Neo, like there's something in him that tells me like this, this isn't it. What else mm. is there? My mom said this phrase that's really become a center point for my life. It's technically Robert Frost, but to me, it's always going to be my mom. She said the way out is through. And for whatever reason, probably because I was living at her house at the time. So like all of her sayings from when I was a kid came back to me. And it's like, okay, if the way out is through and I feel like there's something more for me, let's put this thing to the test. Like, let's actually go through. And to your point, you're right. The thing that scared me most at the time was public speaking. Um, you know, I, I was suffering from deep anxiety and depression. I was seeing therapists. I was medicated. I was in all of these things. And something in me said, that's not the right path. Like, I, I don't hmm. want to numb this. Not that it's not appropriate for some. I think it can be a very helpful thing. But for me, it felt like, that's something I had to let go of. So I stopped taking all the medicines and I decided I'm, I'm going to confront this fear head on. And I applied and was accepted to speak at this conference in Singapore. I figured like, if I'm going to go through, I'm not going to go through and like make a speech at my family's dinner table or something. Like <laughs> I'm going to go through in the biggest way possible. Like if the way out is through, <laughs> let's, let's put this thing to the a real test. 
And wow. it, it, it turned out that not only for me, but for everybody, the way out is through. And I don't mean way out just to bad situations, although it is that. I mean the way out of your current circumstances, your current status quo, your current health condition, whatever it is, the way to that next level is through, through some of the things that maybe cause the most fear, the most anxiety, the most embarrassment, of course, the most discomfort within us. Mm. And when we go through that, those things, we're able to let go of them and transcend them. So how does one get to that level of making the decision? Because as mm. everyone knows, like when you get there, it's pretty much like you're scared. Yeah. You are scared out of your mind to, That's right. to do this thing that you actually feel pulled to do, but, but there is just something inside of you that just like holds you back. Like how does, some, how does one person consolidate that? How did they get over that hump? Uh, well, I, I think there's two pieces of it. Uh, the first, to point to a little more research out of the University of Michigan, is they were studying discomfort. And they were looking at people's brains and bodies as they were going through different kinds of discomfort. You know, physical discomfort, maybe somebody stubbed a toe. Emotional discomfort, maybe somebody lost their job or broke up with a loved one. Mental discomfort, so on and so forth. And what they found in this study blew me away. No matter what kind of discomfort somebody was dealing with, physical, mental, emotional, their bodies and brains processed it almost identically. So much so, maybe you know this because you know much more about health than I do, but I, I couldn't believe this. So much so, you can take acetaminophen for emotional pain and it will help. Like that's how closely our body hmm. and brain processes discomfort. Now, I'm not a doctor. That's not a biohack. You should not do that, right? Like I'm not suggesting <laughs> that's how you handle these things. But what I am suggesting is that we can take the next step. If how we meet discomfort is the same everywhere, we can grow our capacity to handle it anywhere. It's a muscle you can build. Like everybody knows mm -hmm. you go to the gym if you want to build your biceps. Well, if you want to grow your resiliency, your ability to create breakout growth, your ability to push through those times when maybe fear is at its peak inside of you, you hunt discomfort. There's no other way. And you grow stronger over time. So that's one piece. The second piece is that you need something on the line. You need some kind of commitment that's going to draw you through that discomfort. And for me, it was very tangible. I had signed a legal agreement and purchased flights to Singapore to give this talk. So every time things inside me said, don't do it, you shouldn't do it, you're not qualified, you're not smart enough, you, you're terrified, what are you, crazy? I had the tickets and I had a legal agreement saying, but you have to. And so when your commitments are bigger than your feelings, that's what's going to get you through that discomfort. So if you build, build the muscle and you make the commitments, it'll change your life. Guaranteed. Now, would you uh, suggest people take the big ass, go in with two feet into the pool type <laughs> jump that you did? Or would you say for them to, uh, to progressively overload the, the discomfort a little bit? Uh, what, what's the best approach to taking this? And I'm guessing there's like different approaches for different people. There is. And I, and I don't mean to be dodging the question, but it depends. It really depends on uh, what I would call is your street gang, the people you're surrounding yourself with. Now, 
I call the street gang not like a personal board of directors, not like a group of besties or good friends, right? I'm talking about a street gang that has some teeth to it in a couple of different ways. You know, one is they're going to hold you accountable. Turns out, I couldn't believe this either, by the way. All this research I found was like blowing me away. I'm like, I got to go deeper in this. If you're Mm. personally accountable to somebody, that means for a specific thing at a specific day and time uh, with a specific person, you're 95% more likely to achieve that goal. Not 70%, not 80%. It's not like, well, maybe it'll make it uh, a little bit easier. 95%. So having that accountability partner is huge. Another role in the street gang that I think is important, especially moving through this and being able to deal with higher levels of discomfort is maybe talked about a lot but not really deployed in the way in which I mean. And and that is somebody that's going to be the love in your life, not in the romantic sense. If you have that, fantastic. But I'm talking about love at a very human level, like the love for humanity, the love for you as a person, despite all the mistakes that you have and will continue to make, myself included, despite what you're doing, despite the fears that come up, When you have that love at a very basic and visceral level, it's going to help you, you know, as you say, Dan, jump into the deep end of discomfort and be able to grow from it. You know, for me, it was my sister and a close friend that kind of walked me through that, that emotional journey was I was on, you know, my sister actually traveled to Singapore with me. And I remember, um, I, to this day, I still work with her. I couldn't be doing it without her, but we were like rehearsing the talk over and over again in the hotel room. Uh, but she was there for me and I knew that I could have totally bombed and she would have still loved me. It's my sister. Hmm. And our relationship was strong enough and it was being able to draw on that that helped me go through that. Now, um, if you don't have some of those things in your life, you find them. But I would take smaller steps into discomfort if you don't have the support structure around you to get you through it. Gotcha. So this leads me into this follow-up question. It's like the street gang is, is a wonderful concept. And I, and I do believe it's like this, it's almost like these support centers yeah. that you need. And, and I think in the book, you're like, you need the mentor, you need the mind, you need the yeah. heart. So if someone wanted to create their own street gang, to to hunt this discomfort and to to just be a better person, yeah. How would they go about creating this for themselves? Um, well, I'm willing to bet that most people have folks in their lives that are filling these roles, maybe at an informal level. You know, maybe you've got a family uh, that can serve as the love. You've got coworkers. You've got friends, but you're probably operating at a a subpar level. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying you, you can plus it up, right? What it takes is really sitting down with these people. For me, it was sitting down with my sister. For you, it might be sitting down with your significant other, or your coworker, or your partner. And you say, here's the role that I need for you to fill in my life. Here's what that looks like. If it's accountability, here's the schedule that we're going to meet on. Can you fulfill that for me? Will you fulfill that for me? And if it's yes, Ask them to be in your street gang. Like, don't make it weird. Tell them Sterling sent you, right? But you've got to have that formality of the conversation or the person doesn't know what they're supposed to be living up to 
or how they can best support you. So when you you talk it out and you say like, here's the schedule, here's what I like, here's what I can offer back to you, that's that's really how you find it and build it. Now, you're not locked into a, a street game, Dan. Not that we were implying you were, but it can change over time and it should change over time. You know, for example, you're talking about the mentorship, somebody that's got some specialized knowledge, some technical expertise that can help you go down the path that you want to go down. Fantastic. But as you grow in your career, you might need to find somebody new to reach that next level. And just the same as you have a conversation to start it, you have a conversation to end it. You know, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you being in my street gang. And here's where we're going next. Nice. I feel like you can like name your street gang something like really cool too. You know, that's like, right. I forgot you could give it a name. <laughs> yeah, like the Warriors or something. You know, just go yeah, around. Yeah, make T-shirts with for bats. the whole group. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And and just in general, it's like uh, when whenever we think about kind of like this whole idea of like hunting discomfort and going into uncomfortable things. Yeah, I think what a lot of people kind of uh, correlated with is like doing it alone and being like this lone wolf. When yeah. the reality is, is that you actually need these supportive uh, people in your life and these pillars in your life in yeah. order to keep you accountable and to push you towards the directions that you need to uh, go into. Right. Now, would I choose like my uh, my wife or significant other to do that? I, w- I would say I would want her to be there when uh, <laughs> you know if it, if if things kind of go awry. But uh, but but you know maybe we'll choose someone else. We'll see exactly what happens. Now, yeah. your sister well, is actually. Can I, can I add yeah. one thing there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So different relationships, for sure. It might be appropriate. It might not be. Uh, But I see a lot of people, especially high performing people, fall into this trap of, oh, I'm going to hold myself accountable. Hmm. Now, self-accountability, hugely important. And it will work for the things that you're probably already pretty reliable for doing. You know, if you get up and you run five days a week, chances are you don't need somebody to hold you accountable for that next week right? For, for maintenance, for sustaining the levels that you're at, I think self-accountability is critical. If you're looking to grow, though, in any meaningful ways, self-accountability will not do it. And I'll tell you why. Because when you get to those harder moments, those really difficult times, everything in your brain is going to tell you, you can't, don't. Stop. Hmm. It's dangerous. It's physically dangerous. It's mentally dangerous. It's dangerous to my career. You need somebody outside of you that's not experiencing those feelings of discomfort and all the mental chatter that goes with them to help you push through that. Otherwise, you fall victim to um, you know, using co- some kind of excuse, which will be valid, by the way, to take yourself out of it. So that outside accountability is critical. Yeah, 100%. And someone's just like not take your bullshit either, right? right? But there, there is like, like I said with the wifey thing, it's like there is like mm-hmm. this level of closeness as well. It's like, you know, you don't, you don't. I don't know if I want to mix the intimacy along with like her being like, why didn't you fucking do that thing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but definitely, I, I have a lot of my friends that can <laughs> don't want to don't want to bring that into their relationship. <laughs> right. But actually, right. like uh, your your sister is like kind of like that that person for you. And she's also a part of your company as well, right? Um, one right. of the things that, uh, that uh, is she the one with the, the two daughters or the, the nieces? No, that's my brother. So I've got okay. two brothers and a oh. sister. 
Uh, gotcha. I, I have a super close family, so I'm around all of them very frequently. But it was my sister. Yeah. She was right out of college as I was going through this whole dark time, and I I recruited her. Um, I didn't have anything to pay her at the time. You know, I was in six figures of personal debt. I I didn't have anything, and I was like, "Listen, you don't have a job yet. You've just graduated Georgetown marketing, top of her class. Like, can you help me?" <laughs> and we were always really close when we were kids, but we, you know, you go through college, you kind of there's some distance there. You're not quite as close. And she was like, "Yeah, Sterling, for sure." And I'll never forget, I remember sitting down with her and saying, you know, they're going to pay us something for Singapore. Either I'll split it with you or you can come to Singapore with me. And she goes, Sterling, you're an idiot. Like, I'm coming to Singapore with you. And, and thank God she did. I definitely needed her there. Uh, but to her credit, wow. you know, she worked with the marketing team there. She got the video. She's since like built our website. And uh, yeah, she's my partner in this company and wouldn't be doing it without her. So not only is nice. she like the the love component in my life, or at least one of the people that's important to me at that level, but she holds me pretty accountable as well. Yeah. And you just moved back to Denver as well, or to the Colorado area to be closer to family. Yeah. That's not back to, I'm actually or, from upstate New York, believe it oh, or not. Okay. Just okay. most of my family somehow landed in Denver, Colorado. And really? so during the pandemic, I thought, eh, time to move and, and be a little closer to them. It was that uh, was it because of like the whole idea that that COVID brought, which is just like amplifies everyone's like freaking timelines. And did you just yeah. want to like get back and just be closer to them? Like, what what exactly pushed you to get back and be as close to your family as possible? Yeah, that was a really big part of it, uh, especially with all the COVID restrictions. Especially in California, like I wasn't able to see them, wasn't able to travel to see them, especially in the early days. Yeah. And I, I got connected to, well, what really matters to me in my life? And they're some of the most important people to me, especially my uh, young nieces. They're two, three, and five. And they're like my favorite people in the world. And as I'm like in California thinking, what's important to me? I'm like, I want to be around them. You know, like I'm a single guy. I don't have any kids of my own. Like I want to be around those little kids. I want to hang out with them. Uh, and the other part was the mountains. Like, I feel like I live in an Ansel Adams picture. I, I guess I kind of do. And every day I wake up and I look out at the mountains and it, it it's very grounding and centering. And I don't make it out to the mountains as much as I'd like, uh, but it is a very special place. Nice. And then uh, is there anything that your nieces have taught you about discomfort? Um, let me think for a minute. They've taught me so many things. You know, yeah. I, I feel like a cliche uncle would be like, kids, oh, they're man. so smart. They do all these yeah. things, but they really, they really are smart. They're telling me stories back. But I, I think it's that they've shown me that discomfort happens from a, a very early age. Maybe I knew that, but I'm watching them go through it. Yeah. And our results are not determined just by how much money we make and how hard we work, um, how much money we already have, who our family is, how old we are, at least at the time we want to achieve some of these things. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs, especially I see working like 15 hours a day for years hmm. and not really able to get ahead. I was like, well, what, what is that thing? Like, what's the differentiator? And what determines our success is the discomfort that we avoid. 
our lives are determined by avoiding discomfort. And I've, I've seen it with my nieces a little bit. You know, they're, they're at the ages where they're doing shows and singing songs. And, and sometimes they'll be like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the words. They won't say it like this, but what will come across is, hey, I'm a little embarrassed. I don't know. Mm. And to watch them step onto the stage, literal or proverbial, and grow through that discomfort has been amazing. To see them grow up as the kinds of people that aren't so much limited by the discomfort, I can step into it. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. This is what I want to be around. Amazing. And, and you mentioned entrepreneurs for a second, because yeah. I feel like a, a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel comfortable working, right? The, yeah. like, like the 15 hours is actually something that takes them away from the things, say their health that yeah. are actually discomfortable or not comfortable or their relationships that are faltering or yeah. the, uh, you know, their parental responsibilities somewhat. Yeah. So, so what are some things that, uh, and, and do you coach entrepreneurs by any chance? I just want to like. Not uh, so much one-on-one anymore, but a little okay. bit. And, and what if, what are the things that you've noticed, uh, you know, when you were kind of like working with entrepreneurs uh, that they would actually use uh, kind of like, that they would be comfortable with that you would actually have to like push them towards? Uh, it, usually it's exactly that. It's uh, stepping away from working all the hours in the day that they're working or working in different ways. Now, I I think work's very important. I'm not saying like, don't work really hard. I I think that's critical. But if you're working exactly the same way for years, months, or years on end, something needs to change there to take you up to the next level. And I'll I'll give you the perfect example. I, I was working with this entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur out of the Los Angeles area was already fairly successful. And he was growing his business mostly through marketing. So he was putting money into ads, email marketing, all the digital marketing that is so popular now. And he was growing at a a decent clip. Not great, but pretty reliable. He could say, okay, we're going to grow 5 to 10% every month going forward. Hmm. Now, one trajectory is yeah, just continue to do that for however many years, and that percentage increase will grow pretty quickly. You'll be successful over some period of time. But the other pathway that we started looking at is, well, how else can you grow? Like We've proven out these models. We know that they can work. But what about picking up the phone and calling potential clients? Yeah, as I said, he, he was already moderately successful. He had a, a really nice network. I'm like, why don't you just pick up the phone and call some of these people? And he stopped. And he's like, well, I don't want to. I, I can't call these friends. I can't ask my, uh, my neighbor to be in my company. Like he was so comfortable with emailing anybody in the world. But when it came down mm-hmm. to having a conversation, no way. So we, we worked through some of that discomfort. He used some of his team members to hold him accountable, where he was going to invite one person a day into his company, and he did. And, you know, the first month he did that, he grew by something like 25%. Like, it was insane. So, like, working the way you're working, great, fantastic. It's producing results. But when you start to work through things that are probably uncomfortable to you, you're going to produce entirely different results, and they're probably dramatically better from where you already are. Beautiful. And and what are some ways that we can be proactive about, you know, finding these levels of discomfort, both, let's just say, business-wise, professionally, but also, like, personally? Uh, well, well, it, it's a good question, a really good question, because, you know, as I said, 
we we're, our results are determined by the discomfort that we avoid. And we make those decisions about what's comfortable and what's uncomfortable and what I'm never going to do again, usually from a very young age. So by the time we get to the point where we're listening to uh, Dan, your podcast or working out in the world, like we, we become adults, we forget those things that we've decided on. And we're almost blind to them. We've constructed our business and our lives to avoid discomfort unknowingly. So it's almost a blind spot. Hmm. Um, one of the things we've done, uh, and hopefully this is okay to share, but yeah. we put together a hunting discomfort quiz. It doesn't cost anything. It's not like I'm selling anything here. But it's 15 questions where you go through and you answer these things. It'll take you maybe five minutes. And what it's going to do is start to shed some light on what that discomfort might be for you. Hmm. Now, Can you some share people, some of the questions on that one? On like sure. what you would ask? Yeah. Sure. One of my favorites is, um, do you uh, look at commitments as something that holds you back versus a pathway to freedom? And, uh, you know, just to unpack the answers there a little bit, you could say yes, you could say no. Some of the most successful people that I've ever met, like they, they've personally made nine figures in their bank account. They have more commitments than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, one person in particular I'm thinking of, she has three personal assistants, three of them. And she's got uh, events, fundraisers, appearances, places she's donating money, coaching she's doing. Like she's got, if you look at her calendar, she is full from about 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. All full of commitments. Commitments are a pathway to results, to freedom, to achieving the things that we want to do, especially if they're commitments through discomfort. But a lot of folks will look at them and, and feel like it's an albatross holding them back. Like, oh, I don't want to lose my freedom and commit to that. Yeah. Um, or... I don't know where I'm going to be in six months, so I'm, I'm not going to sign up for that race. I might move, so I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't sign up for my training right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, there's reasons, there's excuses, but those commitments are going to be huge. And hunting them or hunting the discomfort of them is, is going to give you dramatic results. Yeah, I feel like we're living in a, a little bit of a commitment-phobic society right now. No um, question. Even from like a relationship standpoint, it's like that, you know, with Tinder coming out and uh, yeah. Bumble and whatnot, it's just like people can have these <laughs> non-committal relationships and get like the, the, I guess you could say the, the gold from it, which is like the sex, but not necessarily yeah. have to go through the committing to like one person. And, uh, and I do believe that's something that, uh, I do believe that's actually not a, that's definitely not a good thing. Um, it's, it's something that holds people back to a very large degree. And it's also makes people like yeah. indecisive as well. Right. Totally. Uh, well, and I, and I, I would take a little bit of issue with that. Like sex, very nice, but I don't yeah. think that's really the, the gold inside of a relationship. I think sure, if anything, sure. and to your point, it, it can be an escape from discomfort, just like overworking can. Yeah. Um, or dating alone can be an escape from discomfort, right? I need to preoccupy myself with something because there's something in me that's uncomfortable with the situation I'm in, where I'm at, things I've done in my past. Um, I think the real gold in a relationship is the growth that comes from it. 
not like you're forcing somebody into growth, but somebody that can be with you as you change as a person over five, 10, 20, you know, I look at my parents 40 plus years, Mm. like that's going to be the most meaningful thing to your life at the end of the day. It's not, oh, I slept with so-and-so on such a date and it was fantastic. Like you're going to forget that on your deathbed most likely. And that's actually, it leads to a lot of emptiness as well. No question. You know, it's like, I actually found that um, I had been through like a dating period and I actually, I had to get away from it because no matter what happens, you always end up going back to your bed feeling yeah. a little empty because you didn't have that type of relationship with, uh, or you didn't have the, the fulfillment that comes with actually having a relationship, things like growth, right. things like a shared vision. So. Right. Yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely a slippery slope, and uh, the that's what actually people think is it's like it's I would instead of calling it gold, I would actually call it like fool's gold to a very yeah, large there you extent. Go. Yeah, it's like they think that's what what they're after, but what they're really after is like intimacy. What they're really after yeah. is uh, is a having some sort of like you know shared kind of like connection with each other. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if you've ever read any uh, Paul Tillage, German American theologian. No, um, he, he's got some really insightful stuff around what humans are concerned with. And he says, humans, overall, all of us throughout time have had two different kinds of things that we deal with. The first thing we all know very well are, are finite goals, finite things. I, I want to sleep with this person. I want to be worth this much money. I want to be married by such and such a date. I want to hit this... Uh, uh, BMI, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to squat this many pounds. Specific goals, specific times, and we need those things. But he says we lose sight of the second kind of things that humans are concerned with. And he says this this is the infinite or the ultimate. Things like love, joy, peace, and gratitude. Things that no matter what happens in the world can never be taken away from you. And when we step back from our day to day, or or maybe step forward and say, you know, on my deathbed, what do I want to say my life was about? What's most important to me? Is is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? Like which of those things are are critical in my life? Then somewhat magically, we can achieve those finite goals much faster, much more efficiently, and to your point, much more fulfilled in the process. Yeah. And behind all those things. Uh, going along with the theme of what we're talking about right now hmm. is pushing yourself into really uncomfortable shit uh, yeah. to get a level of peace. It could mean like uh, to get rid of some of the um, relationships that are in your life that are not necessarily serving you um, right. to find love. It means to actually commit to, to one person, to one thing, to, to actually commit to something. Right. Uh, and these things are actually, everyone thinks they're flippant, but they're really uncomfortable. For a lot of people, right? Yeah. What 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 is something that you have recently gone through that's actually like? What is one thing that you pushed yourself into discomfort? What's what's an example of your life that you've recently done? Uh, well, so I I've gone all in on this like discomfort muscle thing. So I look <laughs> yeah. for discomfort everywhere in how we're growing my business and how we're, I'm growing relationships, physical discomfort. Uh, one of the things that I just did last summer, I always try to have like some big uncomfortable thing that I'm not sure I can actually accomplish somewhere on my calendar mm. in the future. And uh, last summer, it was something called the triple bypass. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's like a 107 mile road bike ride 
through three mountain passes of the Rockies, like 10,000 feet of elevation gain during the whole thing. And I, I'm not like a cyclist, by the way. It's not like I'm a big bike, bike person. It's more like I moved to Colorado and I bought this bike and I signed up for the race. And I'm like, <laughs> like, let's do it. I don't know if I can, but let, let's give it a shot. And I spent most of last summer, uh, well, doing two things. One, writing my book. And the second was training for this thing. The training was a monster. I was riding hundreds of miles every single week in preparation for this thing. Wow. And there were a couple of people from the no matter what community that were crazy enough to do this thing along with me. And... um Race day comes and it, it was brutal. I mean, it was every ounce as hard as I thought it was going to be. There were several times in the race where I thought, uh-uh, like I, uh, I can't do it. I can't pedal anymore. And a as a group, you know, again, kind of a nod to that importance of uh, your support system, your street gang. The people around me are like, no, don't stop pedaling. And I'm like, that's right. That's all I have to do in this whole thing. Don't stop pedaling. Mm -hmm. And you know, we finished the race was fantastic, you know, big fanfare and everything else. But at the end of it, and I think this is true when you break through any major discomfort, there was this tremendous peace inside of me. It, it wasn't like I had achieved something in that race. It was like I let go of something. And that I feel almost every time I do something like that. And it's what I, I strive for in my life. Like that's just, is, um, like the most profound, greatest feeling there is. Like not not like peace, like peace, I'll see you later, namaste, like real, authentic, deep peace where you're totally in the present moment. And and you know what? You're doing two things at once, which mm. was like you're writing your book. Yeah. And you're training for this race <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I said at least one big thing. Sometimes there's several. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, like some people can't even get up out of bed in the morning. This guy is like writing a book, his first book. And he's also going and doing this, like the triple bypass race. It actually sounds like, it sounds like a fucking surgery. It sounds, yeah. it literally well, sounds it, like a surgery. You know, yeah. sometimes, especially from like, I'll post stuff on social media and everywhere else. And like, oh, like Sterling, he does that stuff and uh, i'm no better mm. than anybody else like i can't tell you how hard some of these things are like how many mornings for that bike ride i didn't want to get out of bed and start riding at 5 30 in the morning i can't tell you how many times i sat down at my computer to write a chapter in my book and nothing came out right like it is really hard it's not like i'm wired differently built differently have some um system that nobody else has access to it's just as difficult for me as it is the next person but what got me through that stuff and we talked about this already are the commitments that i made like we've got this no matter what community um i don't mean it like i'll use them in a negative way but i'll use them as an accountability structure for me like i'll post up here's what i'm going to do not only to share it and invite people to do it with me but so I have to come back to that group on social media or, or however I'm doing it and say, I did it or not. And when I've got that kind of looming, that comes to mind at 4.30 in the morning when I don't want to get out of bed. And it's what yeah. pushes me through. It reminds me of like um, way long time ago, it's, I was uh, getting, in, getting myself ready for a photo shoot. And I told my entire community at the gym that, or at the gym community, that I was, hey, guys, I'm going to be doing this. And 
you would not believe the amount of times that you just want to like give up, you know, especially like getting yourself down to like the nth levels of your body fat. And, and the only thing that keeps you going is like, uh, I have to show these photos to like everybody. Exactly. That's exactly it. Goof, you know, uh, what, man, what are some other things that people can try it? Let's just say that they have this community yeah, and they want to like, uh, say, I'm going to be doing these things. Like what are some like pillar things that you would push people to, to make as a commitment to themselves, uh, either like physically, emotionally, personally, what were some things that you would, that you would say are pillars that you would want people to try and that you would want people to hunt? Uh, well, the most important is the commitment that you're willing to make. Like, I, I really don't care what it is. Um, but oftentimes we'll have conversations like this and people will be like, oh, well, I, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to wait mm. until tomorrow or next week, or I'm going to journal about it later. Like all that's fine. But what sometimes we don't realize is that that's an escape mechanism. Sure to keep us safe, but not you safe, your identity safe. And it's your identity, the values, ethics, beliefs, ways of thinking, being and acting that you're holding on to that is holding you back. It successfully got you to where they are. Like it did work, but to get to that next level, you got to get rid of some of those things. Or better said, let go of some of those things. And so as you're willing to make a commitment, you know, maybe we invite people, Dan, right now to make some kind of commitment. Like I'm, I'm going to hit the gym this many times. I'm going to go for a run. You know, here's my body mass index goals that I have. When you're willing to make a commitment, any commitment, that is what's going to move you forward. I, um, did you ever read those um, choose your own adventure books when you were a kid? Yeah, I want to ask you about that. It, it, you, those were one of like your favorite things as a kid, right? They, they were, they yeah. were. Because, because on one hand, I was like, "Wow, choose your own adventure!" Like I'm, I'm in for this. Yeah. And on the other hand, uh, hopefully, I'm not the only one that that did this. But each time there was a pathway to choose, you know, go down the dark hall or go outside. <laughs> I would keep my finger on that page <laughs> and then try to like navigate, well, did I really want to make that choice? And then I'll do the same thing for the next one. And, and pretty soon I'm three, four, five, six decisions down the line. I've got yeah. all these bookmarks in the book and I forget where I am and what I'm doing. And I think there's this illusion out there that having a variety of options is a security net, like it's safety, like there's some value there. And indeed, there may sometimes be. But I think more often, just like happened to me with that Choose Your Own Adventure book, is you keep all these options open and it leaves you not really progressing forward. When you commit in your Choose Your Own Adventure book or in your life, in your health, in your business, whatever it is, when you commit, it actually moves you forward. It might not move you forward to exactly where you want to be, but it's going to move you out of where you've been, which is most critical. It gets you moving. And it, it gives people a, a clarity of what they they actually want to achieve. And so, you know, if you're not sure maybe what you want for your health goals or your business goals, relationship goals, just start making commitments. They can be small commitments, big commitments, but make them so you start to move. Yeah. So if you're watching this right now, what is one big commitment that you can make or even small commitment that would push you towards uh, being the person that you know you're that you're willing to become or that you are uh, meant to become. And I'll tell you right now, like my big commitment to uh, to you, Sterling, and to people that are watching this is uh, my next 
forte and my next uh, discovery and my next adventure, so to speak, is actually putting my videos out onto YouTube and not necessarily growing my YouTube channel, but putting myself out there and letting the chips fly and, and getting better at that particular platform. Nice. So my commitment to you is that uh, by, I don't even know, we're at uh, July 15th, yeah. by July 22nd, I will have my first uh, produced YouTube video out there uh, for everyone to see. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Not even awesome. God's willing, it's got to happen. Like what you did there is critical. It wasn't just like, I commit to this thing. It's I commit to this thing by this date. Yeah. If you don't have a by date, it's not a commitment. So, yeah. you know. You're a step very, ahead of the game, Dan. I'm, I'm very also like very kind of analytical about the the vocabulary people use as well. Yeah. So it's not like, I was going to say God willing, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the thing is, is that it isn't God willing. Or some people be like, I hope, or yeah. if. Like, what, what are some things that you hear people say that that makes you understand that makes you know that they're not necessarily at that level of commitment for themselves uh well you hit a couple of them hope could try might uh even i simply can't uh a good like rule of thumb is if you're using the word because it's a cop out whenever i so i hear myself use it too when i say like oh because there's a <laughs> cop out there somewhere and it could be I can't make this commitment because like there's the cop out or on the backside of it, I didn't achieve that because when you're externalizing the problem, you lose all power. Now, it doesn't feel very good to kind of turn the finger back on yourself and say, I didn't achieve it and look for why you actually didn't achieve it. If you're saying, ah, oh, pandemic, tech disruption, gym was closed, you're externalizing the problem. There's no power there and it just keeps you stuck. Yeah, 100%. So we're, we went from like one period of extreme discomfort for a lot of people. And yeah. I know for, for a lot of people, it was like COVID. Yeah. Uh, personally, for me, like COVID was when like my life changed for the better. Nice. Even though lockdowns are happening, even though everything like that's when my career started to really take off. Now, yeah. we're, we're entering into this like next period mm -hmm. where there's like this, you know, looming quote unquote like recession. Yeah. Now, I know for a fact that crisis can actually bring out the best in people. For a lot of people, though, it's actually something that they look at, they're worrying about. They're like, oh, what do I do? Like, what, what advice do you have for people who may be worrying about this, uh, this next level of discomfort that's going to be coming to the world? Yeah. So the, the real challenge is not so much the potential recession or inflation or anything else. It's that there are assumptions about what that means for you that are inherently limiting. And it's again, like that, that because thing, like I can't grow my business because of the recession. Okay. Now the recession is going to have an impact. You know, we do have to deal with some of the realities of it there, but if you're using it as something uh, to get you out of achieving something, well, you, you're just self-handicapping yourself. You know, one of my uh, friends and mentors, really great guy, his name's Richard Condon. He was sharing this with me the other week. He says, um, Sterling, you probably know what your excuse is before you even start. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. 
right? Like there's something, maybe it's in the back of your mind when you commit to something like for you, Dan, it's like, okay, the video is going to be out there by July 21st or whatever you said. There's something in you that says, if I were not to do this, it would be because of that. And I think that's for everybody, right? You can look at it and say, I'm going to make this commitment, or if I want to make this commitment, what is it if I don't achieve it, I'm going to blame it on? Mm. And when you identify it up front, it helps you set it aside and uh, free yourself, take on, um, I'm going to say take responsibility, but I don't mean it in like the, the punishment sense. I mean it in more in an empowering sense of take on what you actually need to do because there's not something you can point to to take you out of it. And there, there should be some sort of kind of boundary because mm. to a lot of people, discomfort could mean, could also mean like danger, right? It's like, don't, sure. don't bet the farm. I mean, well, yeah. actually not to necessarily say that, but, but what is the difference between say hunting discomfort and purposely going into something that is dangerous or just mindless and yeah. taking on the necessary risks? Yeah. Well, you know, to your point, the two things are very often conflated and they're very different things. Public speaking is a great example of that, right? Like in the moment I was stepping on that stage in Singapore, the world was spinning. I was really hot, right? Like discomfort at its peak. But what actual danger is there for me? Physically, absolutely none. Career-wise, I don't have a speaking career at the time. I'm in a different country with countless people that I don't know. Like even, even on the career level, there's very little real danger there. But how the human mind works, and geniusly so from an evolutionary standpoint, is it's going to signal danger when every, anything gets a little bit scary. And the, the line to your question is you have to look at math and physics. Like what actually is dangerous is investing in this new company actually dangerous for me is jumping out of a plane actually dangerous. And very often I think you'll find from like a, a, a math physics statistical standpoint, probably not at least nowhere near the levels that you think it is. And then I think about it as like a miscalibrated discomfort muscle right? Like your discomfort isn't in alignment with what's actually dangerous. And as you can look at the reality of a situation and kind of calibrate your discomfort to it, you become much more impactful. Yeah. So this leads me to the idea that our human brains usually Mm -hmm. try to protect us from the things that are giving us discomfort, which they will actually see as danger. And even the things that you mentioned before, um, skydiving, like what is the, what is the, uh, the danger rate of that? Or what's the, what's the oh, rate it, of like, so I, I looked it up. I went skydiving for the first time a couple of years ago <laughs> yeah. and I, I was terrified. You know, I was a little bit scared going in. Have you been before? Never been. No. Oh, dude. So you go in at least the place I went and that you have to sign like 15, uh, disclaimers, basically saying if you die, it's not their fault. <laughs> and then what really got me is they get you on camera saying something like, I'm not being coerced into doing it. I'm doing this on my own accord. And if I die, it's not such and such places. It's like a hostage like, video or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is, 
this is a bit much for me. So like now I'm more scared <laughs> and going up into the plane. Like I couldn't even talk. I was so scared, you know? And as many people have talked about, like once you leave the plane, it's incredibly freeing. Like one of the most unbelievable experiences of my life. Although admittedly I haven't done it since, hmm. but I, I looked it up afterwards and the chances of dying from skydiving are like, 0.0046%, something really, really low. And then I was like, okay, well, how does that compare to other things? Like my drive to the skydiving place or being struck by lightning or, you know, all these acts of God that could kill you. And it, and it turns out it's much lower, right? My chances of dying, driving to the place to go skydiving was like 10 times more dangerous than the skydiving itself. <laughs> And getting getting into that that math and those numbers, I was like, wow, right? Like my discomfort, how I'm processing these things is so wrong. And in knowing that, it, it gave me a little bit of an opportunity to correct it. So, so would you say like, uh, you know, if we are going to go into like, let's just say like a very a thing that's going to make us uncomfortable to look at the statistics, the ratios, uh, to look a little bit at the, the logicality of, of what we're going into to give us at least like a little bit of perspective on what we're doing? I, I do think that's that's very helpful, um, but not from totally an intellectual sense. Hmm. And, and here's how I mean that. I, I think looking at the data is important, and that's going to tell you logically I should do this or I really shouldn't do this, right? But I wouldn't recommend using that data trying to convince yourself that you're not scared, <laughs> right? Like making yourself bad and wrong for feeling the way that you feel. I, I think it's important to express those emotions, maybe better said, move through those emotions, let those emotions out of you. And, you know, whatever they are is fine. You, you've got to let go of those emotions to be free of them. And if you're using all this data, like stamp it down, it's just going to keep you stuck. You might get through whatever um, objective or challenge that's in your way, but you're going to end up with about the same level of discomfort that you already have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You remind me a little bit of like Will Smith, uh, yeah. to a very large extent, not the slapping Will Smith, but the, the Will Smith. <laughs> his, his talk <laughs> on skydiving. Yeah. His, his yeah. talk on skydiving, but his like, his, uh, his proclivity to, uh, push himself into things that he feels will make him highly uncomfortable so he can surpass them. And it yeah. almost makes him to a very large extent, like unfuckwittable to a very large exactly. extent. It's just like he does these things to like, uh, to, to kind of strengthen himself. So he doesn't yeah. have to worry or even like fear these things. I think the trick in that comes from something Carl Jung said, you know, famous psychologist, arguably the, the father of modern psychology. He, he said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation about how you feel not having enough money, not having enough time, not being the right age, not being the right weight, whatever it is, condemnation about any of those things does not liberate. It oppresses. And so you really do need to let go of that discomfort by moving through the discomfort to be free from it. If you are continually pushing it down on yourself, you're pretending you don't have it, it's only going to make it worse. Yeah, I love that. So, all right. A couple of rapid fire questions to end this off. Yeah, and, let's see how uh, we do. And dude, I'm fucking, I'm enjoying this. I really enjoy the, uh, I'm really enjoying our conversation right here. So yeah. uh, number one, what's the, the next uh, level of discomfort that you're aiming for right now? Uh, relationship. Okay. Um, you want single what? answers? You want me to unpack them for you? 
unpack them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like I said, I'm, I'm a single guy and um, I've, I've had some incredible relationships over the years, but like the next discomfort for me very openly is, you know, I, I want to be with somebody long-term. And yeah. it, it's a little bit scary. It's that commitment thing that we talk about, right? Like I'm just as human as everybody else. And it's, you know, finding the right person to make that commitment with. That's, that's where I'm at. I love that. Uh, who are your mentors? Uh, one I mentioned, Richard Condon. Um, my parents have been phenomenal mentors, uh, continue to be, um, especially inside their relationship. One of the strongest relationships I think I've ever seen. Uh, Josh Linkner is a very good friend of mine, uh, really kind of shows me the ropes in terms of the speaking world. Brian Estes, uh, Seth Madison, all phenomenal uh, speakers, mostly in the big public speaking world. Uh, great friends of mine, great mentors, and I wouldn't be where I'm at now without them. Awesome. Uh, what's the most uncomfortable experience you've ever been through? Uh, I think we talked about it. I think it was yeah. probably speaking in Singapore. Okay. You, you okay. know, like uh, as Seinfeld says, that joke where most people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Like, <laughs> like, like it's a great joke. It's really funny. But like, think of how true that is. Like, I, if you're somebody that's been scared of speaking like I was, like, it feels like death. Like, the room spins, you get hot, your hands are clammy, you can't see yeah. straight. I've been on the verge of passing out before. Like, that's how scary it was to me. Uh -huh. Um and, you know, the fact that I had flown to another country and was getting paid to do it, put it on a whole nother level. And I think that was, that was probably it for me, at least thus far in my life. Yeah. Or, or try stand-up comedy next. Yeah. See exactly. <laughs> see what happens. Uh, Don't all right. Worry. What was one of the most uh, profound experiences of your life? Well, I'm grateful to have many. Probably what comes to mind is I was deep in the jungles of Peru with uh, a tribe down there called the Shipibo and part of a, a trip put on by the Center for the Way of Light. And they do plant medicine ceremonies down there. And I, I was there for two weeks, no power, no internet, barely any running water, uh, limited food, limited talking, like everything was like very, very uh, uh, at, at its lowest level of existence. And one of the experiences there, my grandmother passed away when I was 13 years old. And as a 13-year-old, I, I didn't cry. It was very sad. She was one of the closest people to me in my life. It was very sad, but I didn't cry. Hmm. You know, I felt as, as the oldest in my family, I had to be strong. I had to show them the way. Um, and that was many, many years ago. And here I am, end of last year, in the jungles of Peru with the Shipibo. And I, I grieved for my grandmother in a way that I didn't even know was possible at a, at a depth that I thought was going to literally break me, maybe kill me. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I still miss her deeply, but having a chance to uh, grieve for her loss like that was, was just like you said, one of the most profound experiences of my life and one that I'm ever changed because of. I love that. I love that. All right. And uh, last question. So yeah. where can people find you? Oh, an easy one. Uh, Sterlinghawkins.com yeah, is, is the best place to find all things about us. Um, all the social media, you can check out my latest book there. Uh, but maybe more interestingly, at least for some people, is you can check out some of the people from the no matter what community that have um, 
well, are either working towards incredible goals or having already achieved incredible goals. We've got all sorts of pictures, um, inspiring commitments, folks you can connect with there. And I'd invite any of our listeners and, and yourself too, Dan, to join us yeah. there and say, here's what I'm committed to. I'm in the community. Let's roll. All right. And uh, people can find that on sterlinghawkins.com. You got it. Okay, sweet. We're going to have that in the show notes uh, for everyone to see. Great, uh, thank you. Sterling, thanks so much for uh, having this conversation with me. Uh, I've been taking notes. I've been doing my thing, just just trying to like learn as much as possible from you. And, uh, and thanks, yeah, I really Dave. do appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. It means a lot. And um, I couldn't be more grateful for you. 100%. All right. Talk to you soon, brother. Thank you again for listening to The Dan Go Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with some that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app.